morning, branches. How are we doing? It's a good day to be here. It's a good day to be inside in general, I would say. Man, that is nasty. It, it never ceases to... I've, I grew up here, and it's like... When it starts to rain, I don't know that there's any, even Oregonians. I know we're not real big into umbrellas, but at the same time, like, it seems like we're always caught off a little bit off guard. We're like, really? Like, why do I live here again? It's a constant, it's a constant thing. And then you get the summer, you're like, oh, yeah. And then you're like, why do I live here again? It's like, oh, yeah. Uh, it's just a cycle. If you're new to the area, get used to it because it doesn't change a lot. Six months of rain, yeah, yeah, eight months, nine months of rain. Three months of beautiful, perfect, perfection, then you pay for it. That's okay. Um, man, I, I loved Christmas growing up. I talked about that last week, how much Christmas uh, just really excited me. And now as I've gotten older, the memories and the um, nostalgia and all of it. Now watching it through my kids' eyes is, is, is absolutely like, it's so much fun. It's like doing it all over again. It's a total blast. Uh, kind of makes me look forward to being a grandparent because then you get to do it again and again. And it's like, oh, that wouldn't be so bad. That's kind of fun. And then you sugar them up and you send them home with their parents so you don't deal with the bad parts. About it. It's only the good parts of Christmas. So grandparents, good on you. That's exciting. Um, but hey, when I was a kid, like I said, love Christmas. One of the things that uh, really what did it for me all year was was music. I mean, music was my jam. I was not uh, a musician, though. I was just, like, into, like, the, something about, I listened to a lot of metal, like, heavy rock and metal was my stuff. And there was something about it. Yeah, I hear some woos. You guys are out there. Um, but but the, something about it, like, it just, like, gave me, like, the warm tinglys. You know the warm tinglys where you're just like, ah, oh, that just hit right. And it was the, between the lyrics, even though they're screaming them, you're like, you're not really sure what they're saying. But then for metal, it'd be like the breakdowns and the riffs. You're like, oh, my goodness, that is so cool. Um, and, and it just really got me excited. And so something that fascinated me from a young age was, like, how is it that these artists put together these songs that touch me in such a deep way? And I, like, I wanted to know the reason why. And so for me, it wasn't enough to just listen to the hits. I mean, the hits are great. They're the hits for the reason. But I, I wanted to know the heart of the artists. So I would go back when I would discover a band, and I'd like to discover them early so I could be like, yeah, I knew them before they were big. Like, that was me. Um, but I would go back and I'd listen to like live versions and, you know, really before they're big where they're like recording in some, you know, local studio and it's just like, ah, that's kind of like the production quality is horrible. But you get to listen to like, oh man, that, that, it's just so raw, it's so emotional. And, and in the same way, you know, we see uh, on, on vinyl records, um, they have a side A which has uh, the, the hits, the bangers, right? This one is a, it's a Christmas one. I didn't realize, I went to Goodwill yesterday to pick some of these up. They still have them there, which is surprising to me. Uh, also, like, I didn't recognize any of the, the artist's names, like any of them. I'm like, geez, you guys, there's a lot of artists back in the 70s and 60s and stuff um, that I had no idea. This is Lawrence Welk, maybe. Oh. All right. Never heard of him. Um, Christmas with Lawrence Welk, all right? So Lawrence Welk. He's, he's doing these songs. He's got Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. That's on side A. Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. You're like, you know that one. Everybody knows that one. Winter Wonderland. I mean, how could you forget? That's a big song. I don't know if he wrote these songs. I think he was covering them. Maybe he did. Either way, these are the songs on side A. Now, side B, we got Christmas Dreaming. Like, I know California Dreaming, but Christmas Dreaming, like, what's that? Um... Christmas comes once a year, duh, but that's the name of a song. 
Um, I don't know that one. And you can't put them in the same category as let us know, let us know, let us know. And Winter Wonderland, of course. I mean, that's side A versus side B. But the fascinating thing about side B is, is you get a look. And a lot of times the way these, these records were, were made is that, um, you know, the production company gets together with a band. The band has their own idea. The label has their own idea. And they got to come to some kind of consensus. Or maybe the label just overrules them and says, no, this is what's going on side A. These are your singles. These are the ones that are going to sell on radio. And you can kind of do whatever you want with side B. Side B, less important. It's the deep cuts. It's the things that, you know, people won't listen to as much. But in that, they had more creative freedom to kind of do what they wanted to do. Uh, and, and in that, of course, when we look at Christmas, the side A would be baby Jesus in a manger. That's a huge deal. That's important, not diminishing that at all. We're talking about baby Jesus plenty during this series. But there was also ele- other elements. When you look at the nativity itself, you got your wise men, you got your sheep, you got your uh, shepherds, you got Mary and Joseph uh, with a baby laying in a manger. You got a star. You got these elements to it. Um, and there's definitely the side A. It's Jesus. He's going to be the hit of it. But on the side B, we see um, kind of a, a, a look into the heart of the artists. That if we just kind of say, oh, yeah, there were the, these other characters, these other elements were there, but they don't really carry any significance, you can kind of miss something in Christmas. And so that's what we're uh, putting forth effort to do during this series is really see what um, the deeper meaning of Christmas, some of the subplots, some of the things that are easily missed because they're not the hits, but they're actually there for good reason. So we're going to be exploring that uh, during this series. I'm going to pray for us as we get started. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Christmas. Um, Huge deal. God, we thank you for sending your son to the earth and everything wrapped up in that, God. And we thank you also just for the complexity and everything um, surrounding uh, your son coming to this world and what it all means. Would you open our hearts and minds to what you'd have for us today in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're focusing on shepherds. Shepherds, there's a shepherd over here with a sheep kneeling down, um, by Jesus, and you're like, okay, uh, shepherds. What are shepherds about? Like, why? I, I feel like with the nativity in general, we just kind of look at it and we're like, oh, yeah, that's just how it is. And uh, some deep meaning there. So we're going to go to the account of the shepherds. We're going to pick this up in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Why are the shepherds there? That night, this was the night that Jesus was born, the shepherds uh, were staying in fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of uh, the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, okay? But the angel reassured them, do not be afraid, or don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snugly or snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. That sounds nice. It's a feeding trough. It's like, okay, you're looking for the baby that's not born in the house. You're looking for the baby that's born and where animals eat. Interesting. So suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. So a bunch of the angel's buddies showed up. The armies of heaven, in fact, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, peace on earth, man, to those with whom God is pleased. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing has happened, 
which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone, everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. So we see some big things here. I mean, you got stuff like peace on earth in there. You got a baby lying in a feeding trough. We're going to talk about that a lot more next week. But I mean, if you've seen feeding troughs today, like there's often poop involved. Like they just like (laughs) poop makes its way up onto where the animals are eating. Like this is, I'm sure Mary cleaned it up. I don't know. I don't know how that played out. But still, it's it's not, it's a weird scene. The whole thing, the the nativity in general, we look at it and it's just like it's a given, but it's kind of a weird thing. There's a weird company of people. It's in a weird setting and you're like, what what does this even mean? And there is so much meaning. Um, But what's your reaction to this story when you hear it? Like genuine reaction. You're probably thinking like, okay, um, I'm fine with baby Jesus lying in a manger, but now there's people floating in the sky like with wings and, you know, surrounded by gold. You're telling me there's angels, really? Angels? That's kind of weird. Angels are, are kind of an interesting thing. Uh, you know, it's kind of vague in Scripture. We like to talk about them a lot, but it's pretty vague in Scripture. There's not, a, there's not a ton of angel action, and when it does, it's kind of shrouded in mystery, like what's even happening here? Um, but, but honestly, are you like, ah, angels, really? Um, if you grew up in church, you may be like me, and you, re- you hear the story, and you're like, it's just kind of blah. Like you've heard it so many times, you're like, oh, yeah, that's just how it happened, and it's just kind of, it's just kind of there. Um, you may think if you're skeptical... The angels were just showing up all over back then. I mean, this was 2,000 years ago, Bible times. Of course, there were just angels hanging out with everybody, talking to everybody. This wasn't, this wasn't a one-off. This wasn't like a big deal. It was just like it was always happening, right? And, and when we see that, um, I'll address that one first. So we look back to the time that Jesus was born. It actually took place uh, in a time of Roman occupation over Israel. So they weren't even their own sovereign nation. Which is, which is in and of itself is, is incredibly frustrating to be an a, a, a Israelite at that time. Um, you, you, you know, your, your nation isn't your own. You, you don't have your own rights. It'd be like, uh, you know, China, if they just controlled and ran everything in the United States. Some of you guys think that's already happening, but if they were like literally here, like just you walk outside and the Chinese person could just like throw you in jail or beat you or whatever, take money from you. This was the scenario. It was born, in, and in fact, uh, since the exile, there, there was little to no uh, reaching out of God to his people. It was just like three, 400 years of silence where nothing was coming from God. And these people start kind of wondering, like, what, what does this mean? And there was so much expectation because there, the prophets had foretold the coming of a Messiah. And, and now there was like centuries of, of just radio static, like nothing. And then this angel's, shows up to these shepherds in the wilderness. It's like, okay, what's going on? Again, angels weren't showing up every day. The shepherds, what did it say about the shepherds at the time? They were terrified. They were freaked out. You're not freaked out if this is something that's happening every day. They were terrified. They're like, oh my goodness, the, this is the end. Like they're spiritual beings, this whole thing. Like it's wild. It was crazy. It, it blew their minds. It caught them off guards, all of it. And then you look at the fact, okay, now they're shepherds, right? What is a shepherd in that time? I remember growing up and, and looking at this nativity, you're like, that was 2,000 years ago. Everybody was a shepherd. You know, it's like everybody just, that's all you had to do is be a shepherd. And so this was just everybody. And actually, that wasn't true. 
I mean, shepherds were very much, they, they were very much a, a part of the culture, but also separated from the culture because these guys are kind of weird. I mean, it says at the beginning, they're sleeping in the fields. Like, who's doing that? You're sleeping outside. Like, sleeping in the fields that, that most people, despite popular belief of us looking back at their time, they had houses. They had places. They're not like our houses, no, but they had shelter. Even in the Mediterranean, it can snow. In Jerusalem, it can it can get very cold in the wintertime. It was not normal, uh, or I guess normal people weren't sleeping outside then. And so the shepherds were kind of like, uh, kind of moral out or social outcasts, kind of people that today we might consider to be broken people. And then when you look at, uh, this just fascinates me, when you look at the first people that kind of hear about the coming of Jesus, they're, they're a group of shepherds. Like, why them? Think about it, you have a welcoming party of the Son of God coming to the world to do what had been expected when we talked about last week since the time of Adam and Eve. There's so much expectation coming. And the welcoming party for Jesus is a bunch of broken people. It doesn't make any sense. Like who, the, the shepherds weren't on guest lists to anything, let alone the coming of the Son of God. This is it's just so, it seems so backwards. Who invited the broken people to the welcoming party for the Son of God? I don't know if you noticed, church is full of broken people. Have you noticed that? Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that, to you that's a good thing. Maybe to you it's kind of a frustrating thing. You look at Christianity, religion, you're like, why all the broken people? Like, what's going on with that? Uh, people just like the shepherds. I mean, why is that? The chances are you've come into church before. You've come into branches before. Even if you're not a Jesus person, this is your first time at church. Maybe you've been in a, a, a circle at a family gathering of religious people, and you've wondered, like, who invited that guy? Like, seriously, what is that guy doing here? Have you ever walked into a church like that? You don't have to raise your hand, but be honest. I mean, have you walked into church? It's a small town. All right, I grew up here. Uh, it, it happens almost every week. You know, not by me. I'm sure it happens with other people. But you're like, really, that guy? Are you kidding me? Ladies, ladies, this has been kind of quiet. Do you ever do that? Really, her? That's like, you know, she dated my ex, and I'm like, ah, that person? Really? Do you have any idea what she did to me in grade school? I mean, I hear this stuff. Like, I hear this stuff. This is, this is real. And you're like, they're at church? They're in this Christian church? Are you kidding me, that person? I mean, come on. We've done that before. It's too small of a town to not. I will never forget the first time I came to Branches. Not because it was awesome, even though it was. Um, it was in 2009, over at the middle school, um, the day before on Saturday, I was driving, I think, to see my uh, girlfriend, who's now my wife in Rainier. Um, and so I was going into Columbia City. And uh, I cut somebody off in traffic because I had to get there in a hurry. Justify my road rage. All right. And this guy was the wrong guy to mess with. He was the wrong guy to mess with. Because he came and he let me know as much. And he was up on my side. And, you know, we, we did what you never do in road rage is you make eye contact with the person. 
because now it's on and I'm like, I kind of recognize him, you know, this is awkward. And it goes back and forth and we go back and forth. And um, then he, like, we get in Columbia City and he just flips a U.E. in the middle of the highway. And I was like, whoa, that guy was real mad, you know. The next day I show up to Branches and I'm walking up the ramp going up to, and I kid you not, the greeter um, was this guy. We had made, we had locked eyes. It was on. And I saw him from a distance and I'm like, oh no. I'm not going in there. I remember telling my wife, I'm not going in there. I'm not going, no. No, I'm not going to church. I sat in my car for like 10 minutes. You look at back at history and you're like, what are some things that could have drastically altered your future if I hadn't gone in that day, you know? But I did reluctantly. I think I waited till he was like done greeting. So I went in like 10 minutes late. It was awkward, man. And of course, I'm like, that guy? Really, that guy? That church? And he's probably thinking like, that guy? The guy I just threatened the day before and made a complete fool of myself? We've both done it. It's like, that guy at church, really? And over the years, him and I would actually become decent friends and serve together for, for many, many years. And it was really cool to see that redeemed. We actually never talked about it. Um, <laughs> maybe I need to. Maybe I need to. There was another time. This was a couple years later. This is probably like 2012 or something like that, three years later. I'm in church, and now I'm serving. I'm in the booth, running sound, and uh, at the bottom of the bleachers in the middle school, and people would just walk by the whole time. I'd be like, that guy, really? That guy, really? That guy, really? Like each and every day. (laughs) That was me. I was really judgmental. Okay, so this guy shows up, and I'm like, no, not him. I went to high school with this guy, upperclassman. I was like a sophomore. I was a gamer. I was just a tiny little dude. And I was just like hanging out, you know, playing. We're about to play dodgeball, which I was already terrified of because there's always upperclassmen that are like, you know, in real man bodies by that time. And they're hucking balls at me. And I'm like, ah, please don't kill me, you know. And so I'm just sitting there and and just my back to everybody or whatever. And I'm just playing, like tossing the ball back and forth with like two friends because that's all I had. And so all of a sudden, this, out of the blue, I get like laid out, tackled, like completely just laid out onto the wrestling mats. And I'm like, knocks the wind out of me. I'm like, what in the world just happened? And I look back and it's this guy. He shows up to church. It was 10 years later, I don't know, eight years later or something like that. He shows up to church. And I'm like, I remember after that day, I was so mad at this kid. He had a nice car. He had a nice car. And one day I was like, it was a couple days later, I was resolved. I had my keys out. I was going to walk by his car and key the crap out of this car. I was done with it. I mean, I, didn't, I was mad. Thankfully, Dwayne, you know, walks by. If you know, you know, Scapoose people. Dwayne walks by just as I'm ready to do this. And I'm glad he did. Um, but still, I was like resolved. I hate this guy. I never want to see him again. He shows up to church. Are you kidding me? That guy? Who invited the broken people to church? You know, this guy's in there. A couple weeks later, he jumps in the pool, gets baptized. He's up there raising his hand. Hey, Timmy, how's it going? I'm like, that guy. Who invited the broken people to church? Really? A few years later, this other kid, um, when I was a sophomore in high school, came up to me, and he's like, hey, if you talk to this girl again who was his girlfriend's best friend, he's like, I'm going to beat you up. If you talk to him again, and I wasn't really like that threatened by him because I didn't think he was that strong, but still I was like, what a jerk, who says that? And, and I wasn't the fighting type. I had four sisters growing up. You know, I could scratch and pinch and claw with the best of them. <laughs> but I'm not going to wrestle, like, no. Like, I, I had no idea, still don't. 
still don't, you know, I'm not throwing down. But at the same time, I'm like, this guy's just a jerk. Like, really? And so I told myself after that time, and I'm like, I'm never talking to him again. And that's actually pretty hard to do in a small town in a small school, but I managed it. I'm pretty good. For the next 10 years, never talked to him again, never acknowledged him. He shows up to church, like 2015. I'm like, really? That guy? I can name drop him, Nathan Herr. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, that guy, really? And, and God did such a work. He, he, uh, they had, a, they had a rough go. His, his wife on their third kid, um, they had a stillborn child. And I was like, I hated this guy at the time. And I was like broken to the point where I'm like, I'm going to, I should do something. But I'm like, I don't like that guy. And so I was on Facebook and this meal train came up and it's like, hey, meal train for the her family. And I'm like, no. God's like, you need to do that. I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. So I kid you not, I went on there and signed up for the very last slot. I'm like, maybe they'll end it early. And they didn't. The day came. I made him food. I went and brought it. He wouldn't come out to the car to see me. Instead, he sent his wife, who's also grieving, um, out to see me. And uh, God did such a work in his life um, that we actually became best, like, very close friends. In fact, I have a picture of him that Austin Michelle took in our bathroom, and it's him and I walking um, at, at the beach with, like, crabs in our hands. And anyway, God did an amazing job, like, redeeming that relationship. But, but really, I mean, we see people in church that are broken all the time. And, and, and when I look at the life of Jesus, again, this is, adult, this is adult Jesus, not baby Jesus. When I look at the life of Jesus, he spent a lot of time with broken people. He focused, in fact, on broken people throughout his earthly ministry, like more than anybody else. And when I look at the broken people that he spent time with, I always want to know who the worst people are, you know, and, and tax collectors, I think, fit that bill. Tax collectors were the worst. Nobody likes the IRS, I don't think. Um, but tax collectors in this context, in this, I mean, you can't even equate it. These were, these were traitors of the Jews, these were people that had turned their back on their own people to take money on behalf of Rome. And guess what? How they're paid is taking more off the top, stealing from their countrymen. I mean, these people were ostracized, alienated, completely broken in the eyes of the rest of the world around them. You know, to the point where they likely had to have guards, centurion guards guarding them because people wanted their heads for good reason. They'd come to a horrible situation in this oppressive society and made it much, much worse. And wouldn't you know that Jesus focuses on tax collectors more than once? And this is fascinating. So just know the context of tax collectors, the absolute worst. And we see this in uh, just a couple chapters later in the book of Luke. Later, it says, as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. He shows up and he says, follow me. Follow me and be my disciple. Follow me and be my apprentice. Follow me and do and say as I do and say. So Levi got up. Guess what? He left everything. He turned from his ways and he began to follow Jesus. And I think this is so fascinating because you look at, the, you look at his life as it continued on. Levi's other name was Matthew. He wrote the book of Matthew. It's that Matthew, right? One of my favorite accounts, I think the best account of the Christmas story, detailed, meticulous, beautiful writing. This was, this was the tax collector turned into super disciple by Jesus, did a complete 180. 
And I think it's interesting if you look at his life, like the shepherds and like so many of us and our friends who are broken, he didn't, Jesus didn't need to sit there and explain to him that, hey, you got something wrong with you. I mean, it was clear. Everybody knew it. He knew it. The fact that he had to walk around with a Roman centurion guarding him so he didn't, I mean, he knows he's broken. He knows nobody likes him. He knows when he walks into someone, they're like, really, that guy? That guy's here? Are you kidding me? Him? And Jesus makes matters much worse like he often does. It says, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with a bunch of his tax collector buddies. But Jesus is the guest of honor. His fellow tax collectors were there as guests, and they were eating together. This, again, a big cultural no-no. You don't eat with scum. You don't eat with people who are unclean. It's very important who you associate yourself with. But the Pharisees, the teachers of religious law, the people that were the professional do-gooders, they complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. He's like, why do you eat and drink? Or why, yeah, why do you eat and drink with such scum, he says. And Jesus turns to them. And he answers like this, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. They're like, oh man, healthy, don't need a, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. And he says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. I mean, think about this. This might be one of the biggest um, ways that we can understand the amount of broken people that we see around us or the amount of broken people when you get in Christian circles and you're like, what? That person, their past, I know them. I knew them at a time in their life. And, and I think it's interesting that he says, look, he says, I haven't called those who think they are righteous because we talked about last week, all have sinned. He's like, nobody's righteous apart from me. So he's like, people who think they are righteous think that they're good without me. But instead, he's going after those who know that they are sinners and need to repent because the reality is, is that we're all broken. Like, again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like all of us don't have a chance apart from him. But I think it's interesting that the broken people that we see are often the ones that look to him in their brokenness. They're the ones that look to him in their brokenness. Because, again, like Levi, like so many people that I've known, nobody needs to sit there and tell them, hey, you got something wrong with you. They know. They know. This isn't a universal truth, but it happens quite often. The truth is, is that brokenness brings humility. I mean, have you noticed that? Brokenness brings humility. It does. Brokenness brings humility. And Jesus came for the broken. Jesus came for the people like the shepherds who didn't need convinced that they were moral or social outcasts. He didn't need convinced that they were broken. Every time they walked into the town and people avoided them because they're dirty and they stink and they sleep outside, you didn't need to tell them that there was something wrong with them. They knew it. Like Levi, God shows up to him through an angel and it's just like, you know, Jesus, the son of God, shows up to Levi himself and they're like, look, come follow me. Come check this out. Come see what the Lord's doing in this. I want to make this distinction. I'm not saying that church should just have a bunch of broken people that just stay broken. And often this brokenness is, is our understanding of who they were, right? 
And often this brokenness still maybe displays itself with someone walking with a limp from past injuries, if you get my analogy. You know, they have a past, they have baggage, they have all these things that they're still kind of carrying. You know, God's working on them or he's worked on them and and they're very aware of their past. Maybe it's an actual physical limp, but most of the time it's just like a, you know, it's like, this is what I've done. And this is what I had. And I think the most beautiful people are the ones that carry it on their sleeves. And they're like, yeah, look where, I co- look where I've come from. This is where I was. My wife and I was, uh, when we spent time uh, in YWAM a few years ago, one of the most refreshing things in the world is we all came to this place because you got to be a little crazy to quit your jobs and uproot your families and just like move out of the blue. So we did this. And the most refreshing thing is there were people there that had just baggage. We met this couple uh, awesome couple. And one of the first conversations we have, it was like, oh, she had been unfaithful. And, uh, you know, before they had kids and now they have two kids. And it wasn't like they just made it work. It's like, no, they put in the work and they let God, you know, they were vulnerable enough to let God come in and heal them and work on there through their brokenness. And you see a situation, but by the world's standards, they had no chance. Yet God redeemed it. And they're like, hey, look at our limp. Look at our walk now. Yeah, it's a little bit crazy when you look at our past. And if you were to ask people 10 years ago, hey, you know, is there a chance you could ever be where you are now? They'd be like, there's no chance. And you put Jesus in the middle, and it's like all of a sudden there's a chance. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But God doesn't leave people broken. He doesn't leave people broken. Because the thing is, he's not calling us. He's not calling them. It's not calling you to come show up to a church service on Sunday. That's not what it's about. It's a great thing. Like Luke said, I love this gathering, coming together, worshiping together, encouraging each other, growing connect, connections and networking. All that stuff's great. But Jesus, when, when, he, when he says, come follow me to these people, when he says, hey, shepherds, go check this out, the coming Messiah, you guys are going to be here at the welcoming party. When he's saying that, he's not, not just like, hey, just you know, come be a part of it and know about it and all this stuff. It's so much more than that. Again, uh, Paul, the author of Colossians, I talked about this last week, even though it wasn't really planned, and again, I'm going to do it this week. But he says that he's not just uh, brought us out of something, but he's brought us into something. He says that we've been, when we look to Jesus, that we've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And when you understand what that darkness is that you've been brought out of, that brokenness, and it's not just the brokenness, again, this is the lot of everybody. It's not just those that society we consider, consider broken. We consider what, that, what comes with that darkness, that kingdom of darkness, that way that we, that's the default of humanity. When we understand what that is, the kingdom of darkness, what does it lead to? We're objects of God's wrath. Right? That's what we deserve. That's our lot. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means all of us are broken. None of us have a chance in and of ourselves. That's where we are. And he doesn't just save us from that. But he saves us into something. He says that we've been transferred into a kingdom of light. Now we have the ability to choose him. We have the ability to follow him. We have the ability to make choices and to love people around us like we wouldn't have been otherwise. And in this kingdom of light, we find hope. I mean, this Christmas season is all about hope. Hope is a huge part. We find peace. I mean, how many of you guys could go for some hope? I mean, really, we find peace in a world that doesn't know how to find peace. We try. We try. Everything, distraction, substance, you name it. We try. 
peace. We find purpose. Again, as a millennial, like we are just all after purpose. Considered lazy all the time, but it's not that we're lazy. It's like if you give us purpose, we'll die for that purpose. We're looking for purpose, and you find joy, lasting happiness that's not conditional on the circumstances of your life. So we've been transferred when we look to Jesus from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And if you're here, and you're just here, you're always welcome to be here, don't let that be the end of it, that you just come and participate a little bit. I mean, go all out. This, this, the promise of Jesus' coming son means that we've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Take full advantage of that. Don't sell yourself short. There's so much more to God and the things of Jesus and the things of church than showing up on Sunday morning, even just going to a small group. It's so much more than that. Don't sell yourself short. Because the reality is when we look to Jesus, when we look to Jesus, we're not defined by the darkness of our past, but instead by the light of our future. And I think this is, under, this is so important that we understand this. We're not defined by the darkness of our past, but by the light of our future. And again, many of us, and I think it's great, we're going to walk around with a limp. And you get to be like, hey, that limp, that's who I was. Like my friends that, that, that came to church, that I was like, that guy really? They're walking with a limp. And you get to be like, yeah, that's who I was. And this is who I am now in all glory to God. Like that's what that looks like. This is who I was and now this is who I am because Jesus changed my life. That's good news. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I say things on stage and I think that's why some of you are here that you're like, that's unexpected. And I feel like some people when I got hired here were like, I want to stick around for a few weeks to see what he might say. That youth pastor, that guy that got up and spoke on occasion um, and said some kind of, yeah, cringy things from time to time. I just like to be honest. I think honesty is good. I want to be transparent. And so I'm not, just know that, know my heart in this. I'm not, I'm not bragging or anything like that. So when I first came to church or when I first got hired at this church, sorry, as the lead pastor, um, almost a year and a half ago now. I came in and uh, I bet a lot of people were like, not just what's that guy doing here, but what, what's that guy being the pastor? Like, what's he doing being the pastor? Like, what gives him the right to lead this place? I knew him in high school. I knew him in his early 20s. I knew him in his mid-20s, right? They're looking out there and they're like, that guy, really, that guy? And thank God not everybody left. Um, a few... <laughs> A few people did. Most people stuck around. And it was one of the most beautiful things. I think uh, for the first six months, I had to eat a lot of humble pie, not just like on occasion, but it was like, that was my sustenance for like three straight months. I was eating humble meals each and every day. Because it was like, it was hard. I mean, so many things, uh, you know, in scripture, it says that a prophet's never welcomed his hometown. And I'm like, I would rather go be a pastor anywhere else in a lot of ways. It'd be easy because it's like, oh, this pastor guy, he's great. He doesn't have any problems. Instead, you guys saw them all, you know, in my time at Branches. I've been here since 2009. Uh, many of you guys saw that. And by the grace of God, so many people over the first year of me being here would come up and be like, hey, Timmy, I was wrong about you. 
And I'm, I kid you not, this was like 10 different people over the course of like six months to a year. And after like the first couple, I was like, wow, that's really nice of you to say. And then I re- started realizing, I'm like, you weren't wrong about me. Like you weren't wrong about me. It's like, I've just changed and I'm a work in progress still, but I've changed a lot from that young man that many of you guys knew. And again, it was just a totally humbling thing. We got to realize, and again, it's not, it's not because of something that I did. It's because of something that Jesus did in me. And you can point to him and be like, that guy, really? That guy's the pastor? And, and so many of us can have that story, maybe not of you being the pastor, but looking back and being like, yeah, I'm not, again, defined by the darkness of my past, but I'm going to be defined by the light of my future. And I'm going to give all glory to God because of the work that he did in me. And all of us have the opportunity for that story. All of us have the opportunity for this story. And I want to ask you, how, how would your life change if you really believe that God came for the broken? Jesus came for the broken, like the shepherds, like me, like my friends that came into branches. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. That guy really, I mean, how would that change your life if you believe that he came for the outcasts, that he came for the adulterers? He came for the felons. He came for the addicts. He came for the victims of horrible things. He came for the people that perpetrated those victims. I don't even know if that's the right verb. The people who, the bad guys, again, the felons. He came for all of them. He came for the people that are in the margins of society, the people that we look at that were like, really that guy? How would that change your life if you believed that and you understood that? You know, that might actually be good news for you today because you fall into one of those categories. That might be good news for you today because you've been around church so long and you consider yourself a good person, but it actually helps explain why there's so many broken people around you. Maybe it's hope for a community as we look around at Scapoos and St. Helens and the surrounding areas and you're like, there's no hope for this place. And, and I want to encourage you with this is that so often, I think it's fascinating when you look at um, any like 12-step programs or anything like that, the first step is always acceptance. It's an understanding that you have a problem. And it's that, you know, oftentimes you get there by hitting your rock bottom. And the beauty of that is that nobody's too far, far from grace. And oftentimes when we're at our rock bottom, we're at our absolute worst is where it's just like a turning to God. And that when our community and the people around us and people in your family, maybe even you are just like, I am at my worst right now. I'm so far from grace. I'm so far from any kind of help that maybe you're closer than you think. Because all it is is a simple turning. It's a turning to Jesus. That's all it takes for the community, for you as an individual, all of it. I think it's interesting that the story of the, she- or the story of the shepherds means that Jesus came for the broken people and then he tells us to go ahead and do the same thing. It's like be active to include those people, to, to seek those people out and show them the hope that we hold in Jesus. I think this is interesting in Matthew 25. Matthew, there's our boy again. He wrote this. He says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. And he's encouraging them when you do it for the people that are broken, the people that society just outcasts and be like, you guys are done. You have no chance. When we reach out and we love those who are broken around us, we're actually doing it for God. And it's the heart of God impacting humanity in an incredible way. 
I want to pray for us. You know, if you're in here today and you're like, man, I'm broken. I don't have that whole kingdom of light thing. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer and just say, God, I need you. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me for my sins? Would you help me to live for you? Even if you don't get that prayer perfect, just ask him to forgive you. Ask him to to give you the strength to live for him. Tell him that you need him. And then tell a friend, tell a small group leader, tell me. This is a beautiful thing. You're not just being saved from something, you're being saved into something. And welcome to the family. Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, would you impress on our hearts, move on us, help us to know that you are near and that you love us, God. God, and that most of all, that we need you because apart from you, we are nothing. Help us to live in light of that grace in Jesus' name.